So we talked about authority and vulnerability. Jesus had both, all authority and he had vulnerability. And so we looked at the problems with us when we want all authority, but we don't want any vulnerability, and that's not possible. So today we're going to talk about looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Where do you go when you're looking for love? I mean, the kind of love that can fill your heart, heal your soul, change your life, and make you dance. Well, part of what people love about eHarmony, which is run by a Christian uh, man who owns the organization, is you have to wait for them to match you up with somebody based on real substance. You can't just go trolling for hot babes. Here's why I was thinking about it. I'm sure you wondered. We're in this series on the confidence factor, and we're looking at the life of Jacob. So last week, we looked at his messed up family. His brother Esau was daddy's favorite. Jacob was mother's favorite. There was jealousy. There was unresolved conflict. There was deception. And Jacob's left with a hole in his heart. He's pretending to be to his father somebody he wasn't. He was pretending to be Esau, the favorite one, the athletic one, the one his daddy loved in order to get the blessing he wanted. A lot of people do that. They try to pretend they're somebody else to get what they want, afraid that if you show up who you are, you, you'll get left out. So this week, Jacob goes looking for love. He ends up with Rachel and her sister Leah. And essentially, both of their maids are thrown in as well. You talk about a mess. This ought to encourage everybody how good our God is. These people don't belong on your dashboard as a statue. They belong in a psych ward. When I show you what they do, it is amazing God's grace for all of us. It is to encourage you, honestly. It's not to deify these people. You'll see why in a moment. Well, it kind of makes me wonder how different the story would have turned out if there had been an e-harmony way back in Jacob's day. Well, so we're in this series on Jacob about confidence. The idea that God wants us to be confident. Confident in Him, not myself. Now, He doesn't want me to have uh, no confidence. It's just that my ultimate confidence is in God. I'm in a bad situation. I have self-confidence, but my ultimate confidence is, hey, I can't fix this. I can't solve this, but God can. So my ultimate confidence is in Him, all right? So this particular week, we're looking at Jacob and his relationship with Rachel and Leah. So here's the question. What would have happened if old Jacob could have gone to eHarmony? Well, first of all, there's a lot of patience involved. You have to wait sometimes a lot longer than you want to wait. And the biggest piece of wisdom Jacob could have gotten was you have to find somebody with whom you have broad-based compatibility. Broad-based compatibility. Not just that I like her looks. You like her sense of humor, her intellect, family values, that kind of thing. And there are 29 of these kind of variables on eHarmony. Now, you won't find a great marriage without five or more of these 29 being matched, let alone all of them. A lot of people get married with about two of these variables being met, and it never works out very well. 
So eHarmony encourages people to think about broad-based compatibility. By the way, I don't get anything from eHarmony for this. This is not a commercial, honestly. It just fits the message, okay? So what's the connection between learning to be an authentic person and being loved and being able to love a whole person? Well, that's what faith is. It's about God going to love you just the way you are. When you come to Him, you come just as I am. You don't, well, I need to get rid of this habit. I need to fix this in my life. No, no, no. That'll never happen. What you do is you come just like you are. And that became a very famous song, Just As I Am, because that's the understanding we develop over a long time about God. He likes us to be authentic. I show up who I am. I don't pretend to be somebody I'm not, which goes on in religion all the time, but I come just as I am to Him. Only He can change me. My wife's tried. She cannot change me. And you, I'll, fix, I'll change Him when we get me. No, you won't. It only gets worse. You, you better get fixed before you get married. There are about 129 places in the New Testament. Jesus said stuff that was hilariously funny. Yeah, not religious, just funny. I think part of the funniness comes with the realization I can relax in my life and be the person I truly am at my best when I know, when I'm confident, I am loved. See, my ultimate confidence is that the God of the universe loved me. He chose me. He picked me out. He put me in that womb. He says, before you, the seed hit the egg, before you were conceived in the womb, I knew you. I called you by name. I ordained you to be. You showed up on purpose with a purpose for God. You, I, oh, well, I'm, I'm an accident. My parents said, no, you weren't. You were to them, but to God, you're right on time. You're exactly who he wanted, where he wanted you. And, and I, I think that helps you understand. My identity and my confidence doesn't come from my natural parents because they may have been messed up. They may not even have wanted me, but I came from God through my parents. I didn't come from my parents. I came from God through my parents. That's why I can have a good self-worth identity, see? Then I know I'm really loved. And when I do, and when you do, you become the most attractive person you could possibly be. When you look at somebody's emotional and spiritual health, start with their concept of themselves, a self-concept. Uh, Jesus would say it's like a well-built house having a solid foundation. You have to have a real clear sense of who you are, identity. That's your foundation, right? Not how much money I have, not how nice a car I drive or what neighborhood I live in. You have to have a sense of worth that's deeply grounded in being loved by God. That gives you authentic confidence. So no pretending, you're being open and transparent. You, you're able to make courageous decisions that are consistent with your values, that honor God, and you don't abdicate trying to appease or please anybody else. So how do I learn to live an authentic, confident life? A lot of times what happens, people reach adulthood, just like Jacob. And they're still carrying emotional baggage, spiritual baggage. I'm hurt because I wasn't the favorite in my family. Or I can't express emotion because there was too much distancing in my family. Or I don't know how to do conflict because we avoided conflict in my family. Or I have trouble with authority figures. I get real defiant, rebellious. Or I have a hole in my heart that never got filled. Okay. Now these people 
suddenly get this insane idea. I know what. I'll get married. And that will fix my problems. I'll find this person who makes me feel so good. They will fill that hole in my heart, and I'll leave my old baggage behind, start over, and life will be great. Yeah, maybe three days. Maybe. Then I find out, listen, here's your takeaway. Marriage does not resolve my problems. Marriage reveals my problems. That is a fact. So, where do you look for love? Here we go. Jacob runs away from home. He's had this vision of God. God says, I'm always going to be with you, Jacob. But that doesn't bring him to full maturity yet. He goes to where his uncle Laban lives, and he sees a well. Now, in the ancient world, you have to go back in the culture. A well was the place boy-meet-girl stories happened. I mean, that was sort of the club. That's where you hung out. That's happy hour. I mean, I'm trying to, because there wasn't anything else to do. That's where, that's where everybody went, right? All right. So he goes to the well. There's a flock of sheep there that belong to Laban, and they're being tended to by Laban's daughter, Rachel. Now, this is a real interesting note to the story. In the Bible, every shepherd listed is a man. It's a man's occupation in the ancient world. Okay, Abraham was a shepherd. David as a boy was a shepherd. Moses and Isaac were shepherds. Everybody except Rachel. Her dad Laban has a lot of servants, but apparently Rachel has chosen to be a woman in a man's world. And we're going to see Rachel is a pretty formidable woman. And this is how they meet. Genesis 29, verse 10. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, he went, oh my gosh. <laughs> he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well, and he watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Now this is kind of an unusual dating approach. I don't generally recommend kiss her and start sobbing. Not a real good approach, okay? But Jacob is a long way from home. He's vulnerable. And remember last week we talked about having authority but being vulnerable as well? He's very vulnerable. So maybe he thinks, this is the woman who's going to fill that hole in my heart I didn't get from dad. Well, she takes him home to meet her dad, Laban. Now we've got to talk about Laban for a minute. Laban actually is in the Bible earlier in the book of Genesis. Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, sent his servant, Eliezer, to the same well to find a wife for Isaac, his son, who is now Jacob's dad. And it's in answer to a prayer, he found this young woman named Rebekah at the well. She was the one. So Abraham's servant gave her extremely expensive gifts, gold rings, gold bracelets. By the way, this guy had 10 camels with stuff for Rebekah. Because you had to have a dowry. So Abraham sends all this jewelry, designer purses, fabrics and clothes on these camels. I used to cause trouble in seminary because I'd ask questions like, how come certain religious groups don't want the woman to wear makeup or jewelry and just be ugly? Where did you get that in the Bible? And they took one little verse in Timothy out of context 
that says that a woman's real beauty, when he was talking about character, is from inside, not braided hair or gold jewelry. And yet all of these women get a lot of jewelry. And a lot of, I could use the women's support right now. The Bible says the woman is the glory of the man. And some of you treat your wife like a wrecked car. If my wife is my glory, I want people to say, Lord, he take good care of her. Wow. Yeah, well, that's a fact. That's a fact. So he's, he's putting a lot of bling on this woman. And here's what the text says. Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to this man at the spring. This is Jacob. As soon as he saw the gold rings and the gold bracelets on his sister's arms, he said to him, Come, you who are blessed by the Lord. See, when he sees the bling, he gets religion. <laughs> Can you imagine a culture where men would put gaining financial success above the well-being of their own family and children? Now, they do. They still do. How twisted is that? It's all over this story, and it's all over the book of Genesis. It turns out that this tricky, greedy little Jacob has a tricky, greedier little Uncle Laban. And now, a whole generation later, Rebecca's boy Jacob comes to the same well, and he sees a girl, Laban's daughter, Rachel, but Jacob has run away from home. He's got no money, no credit cards, no bling, He's not putting any gold on this girl, so Laban invites Jacob to his home and allows him to work for nothing for a month. And then at the end of that time, Laban says to Jacob, well, as long as you're going to stick around and work, I probably should pay you. So they negotiate his salary. And Laban asks Jacob, what do you want? That's a good question for people sitting in here or watching on. What do you want? What do you want God to do for you? What do you want in life? You know, when, when uh, blind Bartimaeus came up to Jesus, he was shouting and hollering. They, the Son of God, uh, he just shout. They tried to shut him up. Jesus says, what do you want? He might have wanted a warmer coat. He might have wanted something to eat. He said, Lord, that I might see. Clear vision. Lord, I need more money. Okay, here's a quarter. No, I need more money than that. Well, how much? What do you need? Well, I need an extra 10,000 a year. Well, tell him. What, what do you want? He got, went to the guy 38 years at the pool of Bethesda laying there in the ICU. Do you want to be made well? You'll have to give up your parking sticker so you can get into Costco quicker. Park up close. You'll have to give up some of the perks here. You'll have to get a job. Oh, well... In that case, no thanks. You'd be shocked at how many people, when you ask them, what do you want? What do you want? That, that, that ought to be a major question we ask ourselves from time to time. Well, he said, I'll tell you what I want. Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And he said, I want Rachel. So it says Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a knockout figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he says, I'll work seven years for you in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Seven years worth of wages was the equivalent back then of more money than would normally have been given to the dad for a bride. It's called a dowry. Wouldn't have cost half that much. 
the idea in the text is Jacob is crazy, irrationally in love with this woman, Rachel. And Laban said, well, it's better I give her to you than some other man. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but it seemed like a few days because of his love for her. So for seven years, he dreams about Rachel, thinks about Rachel, gazes at Rachel. He sighs for Rachel. He drools for Rachel. Rachel's in his mind when he's sleeping at night. She's all he wants. Those seven years go by like nothing. And Jacob shows up and goes to Laban at the end of the seven years and demands his wife. Well, they throw a big party. Weddings back then were big feasts. And apparently there was a lot of drinking because here's what happens. But when evening came, Laban took his older daughter, Leah, and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. When morning came, shock, it's Leah, not Rachel. Now, I've talked with a few people internationally who said very early, I knew I married the wrong person. Well, Jacob may have set a brand new record. He wakes up in the morning, and here's Leah. Can you imagine the shock? I mean, you know, seminary is so boring. I graduated from two colleges, university, and then seminary, and I'm thought, how hard is it to make the Bible what it is, real, and uh, make it as relevant as one can? It, it would hold my attention. This is, this is kind of, you don't just, and he woke up and, oh, it's Leah. I mean, if you had straight hair, it would perm. You say, who is this? So he'd been, they'd been drinking pretty heavily, right? To, to, plus it's dark, and even if they had a candle, he was pretty well smashed after the party not to know who, who this was. It's right here in Scripture, folks. Okay. Some of you got a PG-rated Bible, and sometimes it's X, okay? R. So Jacob said to Laban, What have you done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? This is hilarious. There's something going on here. Jacob has been the deceiver since he was in the womb trying to grab the heel of his brother and pull him back from the exit so he could get out first and get the blessing and be the firstborn. And that's why he was named Jacob, the deceiver, the heel grabber, the cheat. So he cheated his brother Esau. He deceived his father Isaac. He connived with his mom. And now he says... Frankly, Uncle Laban, I'm shocked and appalled that you would be deceitful, that you would do such a thing. Isn't it funny? I mean, this is just real life here. He forgets who he was. Laban replied, it's not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Boy, here's a guy who is a con man's con man, and he's taken down old Jacob who thought he was pretty good. So you have to get the irony here. This is a big part of the story. This is part of learning. What we saw last week was there was a trickster and Jacob was that one. And he deceived a victim, his father Isaac, into thinking he was actually Esau, the older son, because his dad couldn't see. This week there's a trickster, only now it's Laban. And he deceives the victim, which is now Jacob. Laban deceives Jacob into thinking the older child Leah was really the younger child Rachel. So the con man Jacob is getting outconned by Laban. There's a severe grace to all this. Jacob's beginning to learn one of the laws of the kingdom. 
that everybody has to learn if we're going to grow up. And it's what the Apostle Paul said. You reap what you sow. I don't care who you are, what culture you come from, what, how you voted, your political ideology. It's a law. It's like gravity. What goes up must come down. You reap what you sow. Now, remember, there's only three generations of Israel here. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's it. There's no Old Testament. Not yet. There's no Ten Commandments. Jacob is beginning to learn. He lives in a moral universe. He's beginning to realize there's another character in this story, and it's God. And that character loves him, but love does not always shield you from pain. Now, the character, God, is in his story, and it's in our story as well. So Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Now we have to talk about Leah. Just like Jacob grew up being not Esau, that was his identity, Leah's identity is not Rachel. Yeah, Rachel was the pretty one. When people went around trolling for hot babes, they, they went after Rachel. Nobody was swiping left for Leah's profile, okay? Now I talk like I know what I'm talking about there. I haven't a clue. I haven't swiped left, right, or none at all. I don't even know what it is, but I hear them talk about it all the time. So imagine growing up in a culture where your worth as a woman is defined by your physical appearance, body image, body type, shape of your face, your skin, your race, your age, external characteristics that have nothing to do with your soul determine whether you get fawned over or ignored. It goes on to this day. Rachel was in one she was in a category all the boys wanted. They want to talk to her. They want Rachel. What Leah got was, well, she doesn't look so bad. Now imagine a culture where getting married and having children is the only dream a girl was raised to know, because it was. Where do you find confidence for life like this? Imagine in that world having a father who believes the only way he can marry you off is to get your sister's fiance drunk and sleeping with you by total mistake. When morning came, there was Leah. Can you imagine the pain behind those words? Jacob thinks he's getting Rachel, whom he loves. And when morning comes, it's old Leah there. When the morning came, Leah wonders, wouldn't you? I wonder what he's going to say when he knows it's me. Maybe he'll be kind. Maybe he'd be nice or tender. Maybe he'll understand the pain of, of rejection. Nope, he doesn't. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Then the main character in this story comes in for the first time. It says, the Lord saw Leah was not loved. This is real good. Do you understand? Rachel didn't see it. Laban didn't see it. Jacob didn't see it. God saw it. God sees. God cares. God loves. And God acts. Leah's identity is... I'm not Rachel, I'm not the hot one, I'm not the pretty one, I'm the one Jacob doesn't love. And God sees, and God says, quote, I'm going to do something for little overlooked, underloved Leah. And she begins to have children. Now this is a story of a woman yearning to be loved by her husband and not knowing how to make it happen. This has happened for hundreds of years to millions of spouses, still does, and maybe some of you know the pain of trying to get love from somebody who doesn't love you. All right, so listen. It says, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She's thinking, but he doesn't. 
Surely his eyes are going to light up for me the way they light up for her. Surely now this baby's going to fix our relationship. But it doesn't. And the text goes on. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Because the Lord heard, I'm not loved. Maybe this time. Nope. Again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne to him three sons. So she named him Levi. Now all of these names and the stories about a wounded heart and a desire for love are going on all this, all, while all this is happening, right? She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she says, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. So with the fourth child, she finally stops the heartbreaking plan that she can do something to get the love from Jacob she wants, but doesn't get. So she gave up hoping her husband would ever love her. Maybe she decided she would try to find the love that, that could fill her heart from a better source, which is a fact. And she says, this time I'll praise the Lord. Maybe, you know, when everything else fails, turn to the Lord. And, and so she did. And guys, if you feel not loved, not healed, if you feel not strong, not pretty, not smart, not successful, all alone, the Lord sees, the Lord cares, God knows, and God loves. You're not alone. He understands. See, now, this doesn't mean the rest of her story is going to be smooth. It's not. Neither will it be for you or me. And it goes on. When Rachel saw she was not bearing Jacob any kids, she became jealous of her sister Leah. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Well, that's a reasonable request. <laughs> right? I mean, Rachel is the favorite wife. She's wife number one. Leah and Rachel go on to start engaging in baby wars. How many can we have? Who can have the most kids? And they each have Jacob start having babies with their maids as well as themselves just to win this contest. That's quite amazing, isn't it? We, oh, Jacob's getting a good deal out of this thing here. <laughs> just thinking, boys, I, I know this is Old Testament culture, but I was just thinking, he's the only one who didn't feel like a loser, I think, out of this deal. I, I don't know. Okay. I mean, over coffee, we're just, we're having a little fun. Okay. All right. When there's a hole in your heart, somebody else's success makes you feel worse about yourself. It's like salt in your wound. Let me tell you how God says it. It should never go on. When we see somebody get a promotion, get a raise, be able to buy a new home, come in a late model car, the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. The fact that you won't says something about you. And that, that might be the reason there's a blockage in promotion in your own life. So when you hear that somebody got this or somebody got the guy and wow, and this and this, we should rejoice. Say, praise God. Isn't that great? I'm in the same line. You know, I want to rejoice. I want you to get a promotion, get a job, get a new home, get a new spouse. I was kidding. I was just throwing that one in. I, I want to rejoice with you. And it says, let's mourn with those who mourn. Somebody's had a devastating setback. We care. We show our emotion. We put our arm around them. We say, man, I'm praying for you. I'm here. Whatever you need. That's, that's the way we do it. No jealousy. 
The people with, that produce less than you are the ones who will be critical of you, which is sad. Not in the kingdom of God. It shouldn't be that way. We should all be fruitful, multiply. God says, uh, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. God wants you to be productive. I don't have to pray about it. He wants me to be productive. Now, I'll tell you how absurd this gets in the baby wars. This is in the Bible, or I wouldn't even mention it. Leah's son, Reuben, finds some mandrakes. I don't know if they sell them at H-E-B. And he gives them to his mom, Leah. Rachel sees it, and she says to Leah, let me have some of those mandrakes. But Leah said to her, isn't it enough you took away my husband? Will you take my mandrakes also? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for some of your son's mandrakes. This is where the 12 tribes of Israel come from, folks. Isn't this amazing, right? Now, in the ancient world, mandrakes were thought of as an aphrodisiac, and they came with a little warning. If mandrake effects last longer than four hours, consult your physician. <laughs> Google it. All right. When, when, when Jacob came home from the fields, Leah met him. You must sleep with me tonight. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And she, and she became pregnant and buried him a fifth son. Really? This is in the Bible. These guys became the patriarchs from Rachel and Leah's baby wars and their maids. That's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. That's where those names like Judah, Levi, Simeon all come from. See, this is not a story anybody expected. In our day, here's how the story goes. Boy meets girl. Boy loses girl. Boy gets girl back. This story is boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back, but it's her sister. Boy gets first girl, but second girl is devastated. Boy gets first girl's maid, boy gets second girl's maid. Everybody gets mad. They're all squabbling, squabbling ever after. <laughs> Seminary could have been a lot more interesting <laughs> if I taught it. All right. <laughs> this is not a story about human virtue. This is not a story about the character development of Jacob, Esau, Isaac, Rebekah, Laban, Leah, or Rachel. It's all about God's grace. It's God's grace to these messy, messed up people. And that ought to encourage you. However messed up you are, or your background is, God's still bigger than that. His grace is still greater than that. It's about a God who looks at a wounded, not Esau, frightened, deceitful, runaway boy named Jacob, and he says, I'm with you. I'll watch over you wherever you go. This is about a God who looks at a little girl who's homely, unattractive, whose sister taunted her, whose father humiliated her, whose husband didn't want her, and the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. See, if God prompts you as you're going through this week, look past the surface with people you deal with and say, Here's a Leah. Here's somebody who's hurt. Here's a Jacob. Here's somebody who's hurt. Here's somebody who's wounded. And you could be the vehicle of God's love to that person. Keep your eyes open. Do it. God might do that. But what I want to say right now is that there's nothing you have to achieve to get God to love you. You don't have to earn any gold stars. It's just an invitation. This week, bring your most honest, real, wounded, broken self to God. 
You feel like a failure. You didn't get into that school. You got rejected by that girl. You got dumped by that guy. You got turned down for that job. You lost that job. You sabotaged yourself because of your drinking problem. You slept in the wrong bed. Maybe you slept in a lot of wrong beds and you're losing all your self-respect. You carry this secret. You can't admit to anybody that your kids are a disappointment to you and part of your wound. You're jealous every day, angry every day, hurt every day, afraid every day, alone every day. Here's the only grounds for confidence. Right where you are in your life, you are seen by God, you are known by God, God cares, God heals, God loves. So in prayer this week, bring your real self to the real God. Let your hair down. Open up that secret chamber of your heart, the stuff you most don't want to talk about or that's most painful that you're most tempted to bury, push down, try to hide, or you feel guilt about. Bring it to God and tell Him and let God love you and heal you. Bring it to the light. Dermatologists put this acidy stuff on women's face for a while, and then you have to go in front of a light, and it burns and stings for a little while. It looks really bad for a bit. It brings every blemish and all kinds of ugly stuff to the surface. It kills precancer cells. The light does that. If you're willing to go through a little bit of pain, the light will do that for you. If we bring into the light, if we confess our wounds, our hurts, our sin, our guilt, our failure, our shame, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, the Bible makes this wonderful promise. The love of God will cover us, the forgiveness of God will heal us, and we can always be confident. He loves me. He'll never leave me, never forsake me. I'm the apple of His eye. No man can pluck me from his hand, nor you. But you've got, to, you've got to let him heal you because he sees and he cares, he knows and he loves you. You're not an orphan. You are his beloved. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.